Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cyber Inspiration Podcast. My name is Evgeny. I've been around security for the last 20 years, and I have a lot of experience working with a variety of cybersecurity vendors. My main work is vendor consulting and cybersecurity advisory. As part of my passion in technology and cyber, I always intrigued to learn how companies start. I started the podcast to understand the thinking process and what motivated people to start their own company. This podcast is also affiliated with the Security Architecture Podcast. I have a pleasure today to have Ian from Phalonix to talk about their journey and what they do. Ian, can you please tell me about yourself? Yeah, I'm happy to be on. Ian Garrett, CEO, co-founder of Phalanx, and just a little bit of my background. So I spent a number of years after college, active duty in the U.S. Army as a cyber officer. So I spent a number of years focusing on offensive cyber operations and understanding firsthand experiences of what cyber breaches are all about. After that, went into academia a bit. I worked on some PhD level research, again, cyber, in this case, artificial intelligence as well. So really, the those two experiences I gave birth to the idea that became Phalanx. So tell me quickly about like doing elevator pitch, what the company does. So what we're doing at Phalanx, super exciting. We're going into the zero trust space. So what we're building is zero trust data access. And I know that's a huge buzzword. So what does that really look is we're tying identity to the ability of data access. So essentially, anytime anyone opens a file across an organization, you know exactly who, what, where when that's happening in the same way that you already are doing that with your networks and your devices. So we're doing that with a secure document management platform. I think document security is definitely important topic. I personally a very big believer in document security. We're not going to go very deep on a technology right now. It's a different podcast for this, but we want to go much deeper about your journey. So what happened, yeah. I believe around three years ago, that motivated you to start the company? It was 2020, and as we all know, <laughs> a very disruptive year for everyone. And what we saw because of, obviously, the pandemic, there was a massive mandatory shift for everyone to go remote and for remote workers to all of a sudden be enabled across the workforce. As a result of that, there was a massive 400-plus spike in data breaches. And again, having been on the operational side and as well on the academic side, really understood what was the gap there. It really related to all of the tools that people were using for remote workers were perimeter-based security. So for example, VPNs, people saw that, oh, let's try to have everyone VPN into the corporate network. And we all know how bad that went. That gave me the idea to say, you know, I know how to solve this problem. And it's really to build a system that allows people in any location, inside the network, outside the network, to be secure and be productive. Okay, great. So you have an idea. This is awesome. How do you know somebody is actually going to buy it? That is the part that as a technical founder, I didn't think about as much. I saw the capability gap, saw the problem, the need, and started building. So that was definitely, in my opinion, not the right way to go about it. It should have started with the idea and then go spoke to a bunch of customers. We obviously were in conversations with a number of people, but we started building before we really started having a big enough potential customer base to learn about the pain points. So you mentioned we, I guess you didn't start the company by yourself, you choose founders? Yeah, one of the things, there's actually two main things that led to the foundation of the company. So obviously I had the idea, was motivated, interested, and then so I said, well, how do I start a company? I have no idea what I'm doing between the military experience and then academia. And I was a defense contractor as well. None of those experiences are related to startups. So I was like, I don't know how to do a startup, but I know I want to. So step one was actually I found a mentor, which we can go into deeper for sure. And then step two was to go find co-founders because I knew that I had a certain skill set. 
and I needed to fill the gaps in that skill set. And I knew that, and pretty much everyone's advice was have teammates or that'll increase your chance of success. I think having founders together and also having a mentor, it's key. I hear this a lot of times. So I will later on definitely want to kind of dive in more on the idea of the mentor and how it helped you and maybe it will help other people as well. So you guys are building the product. And I guess in one point, you realize you need to go and check that what you're building, customers will buy. Or did you raise money first? I don't know exactly how it worked. We knew that what we wanted to build did require some upfront capital because for one, our experience in cyber, it was hard to indie hack our way through with the cyber product, especially for targeting enterprise and businesses. So we needed a certain level of product maturity and a certain level of legitimacy backing us. So we did actually go out to raise money initially. The Techstars New York City Accelerator got some institutional investors for a pre-seed round. And so it was a mix of that. And then through those processes, of course, they highlighted the need to continually talk and do customer discovery and so it was pretty much we were building both sides of it at the same time, determining our messaging on one side and what we're actually solving for from a customer's perspective and then actually building the product up at the same time. How did you know how much money to raise? For us, it was really based on what the skills we had in-house from the founders and then what was the gap between where the product or we believe the product needed to be and then pretty much backfilling how much money does it cost, how many engineers or how many market do it need and trying to backfill it from there. So we ended up reaching about what we were looking for, which ended up being fine for us. But it was definitely a big question mark initially was, do we raise 500,000? Do we raise a million? Do we try to figure out how to raise multiple millions without a product? We're all first time founders too. So for us, it was a huge question mark. So you're building a product, you're raising money, you're probably starting to look for customers. In what point you went and say, okay, I build enough. I want to have customers. Pretty much it was all around our MVP, so minimal viable products. And for us, trying to determine how minimal can we go, people often say, whatever your MVP is, ship it as soon as it reaches that point and you should be embarrassed about it. We actually just did a review the other day of looking at our evolution of the product over the time and it sure was embarrassing. <laughs> but for us, at the time, we had a bigger focus on the actual encryption technology. So once we had a product that was able to automatically perform that encryption and easily perform the decryption, we wanted to ship that immediately. And so as we had something to sell, that's when we started to speak with more customers, learn about what other features needed to exist to be in their environment, such as single sign-on or cloud security. So it's been a back and forth. Since that MVP, we've been driving product development based off of customer feedback. I'm going to ask you a question that I actually didn't ask anyone yet. With the recent hacks of several vendors, and I don't want to mention names, how does it affect you? Like you creating a secure product and in encryption space as well. But how customer can trust you that what you do and what you have is also secure? That is always a constant thought for us. And then also, in my opinion, a security company has a bigger target on their back just because they have more availability to negatively affect organizations if they're hacked. So we built Phalanx with that in mind as well. So everything we do, we take in best practices from a cybersecurity perspective. We use a lot of security products and aim for compliance in a way that early a company of our size and stage wouldn't. But for us, we know that it's important. And then also just every time we build anything, we build it with security in mind versus the other way around where security is usually the band-aid added on the back end. So you have a product, you have now have customers, you're going to the customers, you have a lot of different tasks. Did you realize in one point that you want to correct pass? 
you know, that you actually, what you build and your vision is correct. Because in many cases, people start building something and then they pivot somewhere else because they realize it's not actually what people want. Let's say we had two or three major pivots throughout the history of the company. And those happened in the first year. Originally, actually, we were more down a AI security focus. So we were more focused on the models. And then we realized that AI security is a little too forward-leaning. So we pretty much all the, the customer feedback was, wow, this is super important. This is really cool. Very interested in buying this later once there's a more attacks using that vector. And at that point, we started building. So we shifted from the models to the protecting the data, feeding the models. And then we're protecting like within files, the data, that way to protect against poisoning of those models. We were finding actually more people were interested in that. But what we found they were interested in was less about the individual data within the files, but the files themselves. So we realized, well, let's not worry about protecting, let's say, individual cells from Excel or CSV, and let's actually just protect the whole file itself. And then we found another slew of problems as it relates to that. So again, we started shifting, but when we hit that point is where we really started to feel the pool from customers and people understanding that they're like, oh, I want an easy way to protect and transfer and store this data in my own environment. And that's what we knew. This is something worth building. Many vendors having a hard time to find customers because there's a lot of noise, good noise, bad noise, marketing. And the first time founder and a technical founder, how hard was to actually find people to listen to the solution? Because everybody's saying we're the first, we're the pioneer, we're the best. We have AI, ML, all the buzzwords. What do you do? How do you ever let people listen? Either was it a secret or maybe very good salespeople. I mean, that's been one of the greatest things for us to learn because we not had an enterprise sales experience, not having marketing experience. We're learning now that a great product is the bare minimum you need and everything else is actually how you build the business. So what we learned and what we still do today is actually really focus on what do the customers need? So we don't enter a conversation saying you need failings or you should have failings because it's better than everything else. We really open those conversations with what are your challenges? Sometimes they just don't have a challenge that we can solve. We're not going to waste their time trying to push a product on top of them. So that's really the key point there is starting with listening to what is their issues and then seeing if we can help them. I think it's a very good approach. And I always tell people, you don't have to have every deal. You don't waste your time and the customer time as well. If you don't think there's a fit, the sandbox is very big. You know, they can find yeah. a different customer. With all the different tasks that people need to do between engineering, marketing, sales, running the company, what do you do? Is there a secret for you to maintain and be on top of all the tasks? So I think step one is honestly just believing and understanding that your schedule is always going to be 500% full. <laughs> so knowing that you'll never have enough time for everything. And then there's always more tasks than you have time in the day or time in the month to do. Um, so with that in mind, priority is everything, right? So understanding, and I always like to say, how do I fail with the least amount of damage? So understanding that there's certain things that really will move the business forward. And those are top one priority. What moves the business forward and anything else after that is what can I fit in after that? And then usually there's a lot of stuff that feels important, doesn't get to happen, realize that would have been a waste of time. Do you have a hard time to synchronize tasks between what you do between engineering and sales? Like how do you? Make sure that you not only have your task, but everybody else is also doing their stuff without micromanagement. I think the most important thing, and honestly, I think this is just something that I've learned through the time in the Army, is just having established roles and responsibilities. So everyone on the team knows what their lane is, essentially. So everyone knows what they're responsible for, what they're, beyond just the task, what ideas they're responsible for. Our CMO is like, 
even though if I'm helping with marketing or sales, he knows that he's the one that's in charge of making sure driving that effort forward. Our CTO is the one that, even though I'm helping with product management and, and anything else, that he knows that hey, if there's these technical, I got to make sure that I'm doing the testing, and blah, blah, blah. He's running that on his own. And then that trickles down to all of the employees too. So everyone knows what they're responsible for. So that way it's not me trying to task manage everybody because they know that better than I do, right? That's the best way to do it, in my opinion, is they know their job better than I know their job. I just know what needs to happen from an overarching level and, and you just push that down. So I spent five years in the Navy, in Israel Navy. And it's funny how many things you can take from the army. People usually say, oh, army is boring. It doesn't teach you anything. It's just running there all the time doing drills. But you can learn so much about responsibilities, about trust, about who doing what, about communication in the army. It's phenomenal. Yeah, 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 it's definitely, and it gives people a sense of ownership too. So it's like when they know that they're the ones that I'm looking to them to solve these problems, not just, oh, Ian's coming here with another five things I need to finish by Friday. <laughs> so this is my thing. And Ian's looking to me to be the expert in that area. You mentioned a mentor. So let's touch base on this part. Why mentor important and how mentor help you? Yeah, I think mentor, and honestly, mentors with an S is the way to go. It's another thing that was drilled in from a military's perspective, but for us, it's been huge. So again, it's like, I didn't know how to start, what to do. So it was pretty much after I started with, I want to do this. I said, okay, who in my network can help me just know what, the, like I was at step zero, how do I get to step one? Who in my network can help me? So I actually had a friend that had recently started the startup herself, maybe about a year or two before and was also in the early stage. So I was like, hey, how did you start this? And that, and she was super helpful in helping us understand what are the next steps. And I think a lot of times people try to look too far in advance for a mentor as well. So people try to find who's been a successful, like who's a, who's a great CEO that can be my mentor. And I think that's important for understanding from a holistic sense, but I think you also want more tactical mentors who's been in my shoes recently. Because like someone who's done it 20 years ago, different tools exist, different experiences exist. Someone who did it six months or 18 months ago, they're like, use this tool. This is what's going to happen. Do this now. This is what the environment looks like today. So I think having mentors across the spectrum is important. Yeah, because you bring a very good point. The CRM tools we have right now, the task management tools, the way mm -hmm. we're doing the development, it's all changed right now. There's a lot of SaaS applications that can make your life easier. Even how we share documents right now is different. <laughs> For us, we knew that we wanted to be venture-backed, so we knew that we had to incorporate in a way that made us investable, so being a C-Core and all that. We were able to use a SaaS tool to just auto-do all that for us. If I asked someone who had done it 30, 20 years ago, then it would have probably been like, just find a lawyer to do all that for you, and that would have cost us a lot more than the SaaS platform did. Good point. If you can go back three years ago when you started, what is the advice you would give to yourself to do differently? Or maybe not? It's, it's entirely... Don't build anything until you talk to people. It's immensely helpful to understand from your customer's perspective, what are the real pain points? Having industry experience, we built towards a direction I knew was something that was important, but you can't sell it until you know what words to use that for what people are looking for. So the advice is 100%, don't even worry about building first. Don't even incorporate, just talk to people first. Talk to enough people in a B2B, I would say about 10 people within organizations that fit your ideal customer profile. If it was like a B2C, it's maybe talk to them first, learn about what you, words they're using, learn about what their pain points really are. And if you can't find 10 as a B2B company, then maybe you're not building something that's a real problem. That's a good advice. Thank you. We're going to transition to a dark side. 
it's where we talk about <laughs> stuff that didn't work. Everyone that's listening, thank you much for listening. Please continue listening, subscribe, and share as well. So tell me about stuff that didn't go as expected at all. Or maybe a days when you're like, oh my God, what am I doing here? I'm just going to go back, work in military or defense or do something else. Definitely in the early days, it was all about those pivots. So just any of those pivot points, the major ones were definitely dark days. We're sitting there being like, okay, nobody is interested or we can't even give this stuff away for free for pilots. That definitely you know, wore the whole team down significantly. It was an inflection point, right? So it's, it was, things are really bad. Nobody's interested. And for me, it's a problem of, are we not reaching people correctly? Or are we just building something that's not worth it? So that's the, the constant battle. Is it worth it or is it not worth it? And the decision pointer for me is determining, do we keep going until we run out of resources or do we pivot? Did that a couple of times until I've now I'm confident that what we're doing is definitely fulfilling a true pain point within the community. But those prior times of this question. So what do you do? Like we have a very bad day. And you need to get back to yourself and you need to show leadership to your team as well. There is something you do for yourself, running, meditating, climbing walls. I don't know, maybe something else. Definitely exercise helps or honestly just getting a breath of fresh air. We're a remote first company. It's not necessary that I'm going outside per se, you know, because I'm walking or anything to work or for commuting. So sometimes when it's just a really bad day, let me just go outside for two seconds, take a deep breath of fresh air. And that honestly helps reset me significantly. And when it comes to the team, I really believe that taking a break is important. So if we've had a really hard time, like really a lot of work or putting a lot of hours, or it's just been a really demoralizing time because of a bunch of setbacks, I'll just tell the team like, hey, we're just going to take a little bit longer of a weekend. Don't work. Just enjoy. And I found that that resets people in a way that they're motivated to come back. Thank you. Anything else you want to add? I think having a hobby that isn't related. So I love tech, but I recently have been making candles on the side and that I found that very therapeutic. <laughs> Interesting. So I think having a hobby that's just unrelated to, and I love working out too, but just like something that's just keeps my focus in a little bit more. So I'm focused in on building these candles, <laughs> but let me forget about a lot of everything else. So having a hobby that's just unrelated to what your business is has been helpful for me. Okay, let me know where I can get one of candles. I'll happy to have one. Ian, thank you very much for joining. A lot of good advice. Good luck with your journey. Thank you very much. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Great. Thank you very much for listening and watching as well. And we'll see you in the next episode.